following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we are starting a new series today called The World Falling Apart. Uh, it is late 2022, believe it or not. And uh, I think if we're honest, we're all feeling a little bit of existential dread at the state of the world at least from time to time on certain days. Um, I'll give you my list, and then you can shout out anything I miss, okay? So we have um, almost two and a half years of dealing with the pandemic now. Economy somewhat in turmoil. War in Ukraine. Uh, climate crisis. Teacher and healthcare worker burnout. I know that's a short list, right? It's just a few little things. What's on your list? What are you seeing in the world right now? Big stuff that I missed. Violence. Violence, yes. The solution to everything in the world, yeah. The rise of Christian nationalism. Could you give me a brief summary? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I see it too. Poverty. Yes, poverty here and abroad. Ken's mentioning West Africa specifically, but it's all over. Yeah. I mean, we could make the list long enough to take up the entire time that we have together this morning. The point is that these are the realities of the world that we live in, and they can make our heads spin. And especially as we think about how to be people of faith when we look around and see the world looking the way it does, um, it's really difficult, to, to, to say the very least. And the purpose of this series is to talk about what it means to be people of faith in the middle of all of this. Um, I would say that we need more than just religious platitudes. Have you ever had your heart strangely warmed by someone saying, like, um, it'll all be okay in the end, or God's got you, or... I mean, you might feel a little, bit of, a little bit of support from those sentences, but in my experience, those mostly ring kind of hollow. They mostly fall kind of flat. We need something more than that if we're going to be people of faith who navigate a world that looks the way it does today. So in this series, we're going to talk about a, uh, a handful of things. Uh, we're going to talk about how the people of God have historically dealt with seasons like ours. By the way, we're going to notice the fact that never in the history of humankind have the people of God been so widely aware of everything that's happening in the world, right? For most of human history, the people of God had quite enough to be going on with, tragedy-wise, in their own village, in their own town, in their own small country. And now we are aware of everything all the time. We need to talk about that as well. We're going to talk about some of the words of the Bible, um, for, and we're going to look to them for insight into what it all means. And sometimes it's Still not going to be clear what it all means, and maybe there isn't an answer to that question, so we are also going to talk about what it means to live with unanswered questions. We are going to look at the role that Christian community plays in supporting one another and also in doing something meaningful to make the world measurably better, noticeably better. And I think most importantly, we're going to look at the example of Jesus, who... Uh, suffered under the burdens of the world, 
and, and under some of the worst evils of humanity. But the way that we're going to begin and end this series is with some personal stories from you, from the people of Artisan Church. So today's uh, personal stories are going to be themed on the title, The Struggle is Real. Right? I've specifically asked a few people to share stories uh, that do not have a happy ending. Right? I think one of the big mistakes that we make um, as Christian people often is to try to skip through the trauma, skip through the difficulty, and imagine ourselves already at the happy ending, which I do believe exists. And so we're going to start there. I've, I've told them, please don't put a bow on your story. <laughs> and then I'm hopeful that by the end of the series, we won't have all the answers, we won't have it all figured out, but I hope that we will have some new reasons to feel hopeful, to be hopeful, to act into hope, to, uh, to reach forward, as Vila said last week, as the Finnish translation of Hebrew says, to, to, to reach forward toward that, is, that which is unseen. And so the stories that are shared on the last Sunday of the series, which I think is September 18th, are going to be ones that, about what gives people hope. Again, not necessarily in the big grand scheme of things, but just in one's personal life, right? So that, this is how I want to start the series with people who are um, sharing stories that are personal because they may intersect with the ways that the whole world is falling apart, but I think it's important for us to recognize that there are individual people who are affected by all of this and that we can start by caring for individual people. So to start out, it feels important to do two things. One is, is to take that, to go from that big zoomed out view into the real lived experience of someone right now, a few, a few someones actually. And then secondly, the, that we can take some time to be honest about the reality that even for people of faith, things are not always neat and tidy and that it can be hard to find hope. And so I'm going to ask you to give your attention to a few people who are sharing this morning. Um, I'm going to ask you to show them your love in whatever way seems right to you, to offer them tangible support if you, if you can, if you happen to be able to do that, but not to offer platitudes or um, pat answers or simple religious explanations. So, um, I will ask Diana to come first, and then uh, we'll have Ken and Nivu also sharing with us this morning. So, Diana, thank you for being here today and for sharing with us. Here you go. Thank you for having me. Okay. When I was baptized in 2010, I remember the woman who walked with me into the pool saying, I would do great things for Christ. I plugged my nose as my head went under. Symbolism or not, I had no interest in getting water up my nose. I came up jubilant. God was going to do great things, great things. As time went on, I went on a faith odyssey to Philadelphia, where I found myself. This autistic recluse became a nurse, and I even went back to school to level up. 
I was on track to find love, get married, maybe even have a family of my own, to have hope in the future. My future looked so bright, I needed shades. Great things. Sometime around the first Trump election, this all seemed to come unglued. I remember sometime in 2015, sitting in the office of where I worked at the time, one of my coworkers said he believed in prophecy, and he figured Trump would probably have a hand in the coming apocalypse. And at the congregation I went to at the time, members said that, yes, the foundations of the world as we know it were shaking, and that God was using Trump to do the shaking. And our world is shaking. The earth is getting hotter. California's forests are burning like a tinderbox. Polar ice caps are melting, and the roads in England are literally melting as we speak. Prices are up. The economy is down. And we don't really know when and if things will be set right again. Women have lost the right to their own bodies. And it seems as though society is determined to bring about a real-life handmaid's tale. The fear that LGBTQ rights are next on the chopping block is very, very real. There are whispers of China, Iran, Russia forming an alliance. And it's starting to look like the book of Revelation is coming together right before my eyes. Maybe my new dating profile tagline needs to be seeking a partner for the upcoming zombie apocalypse. My faith has also been shaken. The woman who walked into the baptismal with me vanished underneath the brim of a red cap. Friends and family, one by one, people I'd grown up with, abandoned their moral compass under the auspices of bringing God's kingdom to this earth by merging faith with empire. The Christianity that I'd grown up with has vanished, drowned out by the shrieks of a hateful crowd. And while much has been healed, so much remains shattered. And I don't know if there's enough time left to pick up the pieces. I don't know what's left of the future I thought I was going to have. And honestly, I'm scared. God created me to be a nurse. So if I am really present for the last gasps of a sick and dying world, maybe I can only hope to create some healing. Maybe that's all any of us can hope for. All I have is one voice. It may not be enough to drown out the shouts, but it's there. And may we all still be able to hear the still, small voice of our Creator. All I have is one heart. Even though it's broken, it still beats. All I have is two hands to join in with all of you. May we come together, even as the world falls apart. Thank you, Diana. I'm going to intersperse um, with another psalm because what I want you to know is that the pain that you hear in Diana's voice and in the voices of others is echoed in the scriptures 
Psalm 82 says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I say, you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. All right, Ken. I was uh, working on an outline for this last night and realized that it was an outline for a 20-minute sermon, not a five-minute sharing, so I'm working without a net <laughs> and setting a timer on my watch. <laughs> um, growing up, I was church boy uh, in the Christian Reformed Church with a lot of thick Dutch accents. I'm not Dutch, but... Um, and. I, I was I was I was serious about this about faith, um, and I I I mean church could get boring with long sermons, but I was it was important stuff, and I did all the things. Uh, the one thing I really didn't like was cadets, and for those of you who are not in the know, uh, that would be the Calvinist cadet corps. The uh, the uh, girls group was called Calvinettes. Um, they're now gems, which is girls, something or other, something or other service. And as I, as I matured, I moved from my home church in Rochester to the same denomination out in Webster. There was a pastor there I really liked, but then the pastor changed and the church became in a lot of ways just another evangelical politically conservative church, and my wife and I sadly moved on to another church, which was more evangelical, but maybe a little less conservative or harsh in any ways. Um, but that church closed, and we ended up coming here. I'd had a very long uh, association with Artisan, and before that, Caverick's Day, and I've I've actually known Scott since 2000, which is, my goodness, I'm getting old. Um, but even as Artisan grew to be more and more what I saw as the body of Christ, I saw so much of the American church growing more and more to be an arm of, well, the Republican Party, yeah, but even more than that, just uh, interested more in their own safety than in risking their comfort for the the uh, the lost, the least. The people will say they're not the least, but those who's those who are persecuted, those who are struggling. And it became harder and harder for me. And this is going to be a theme. In 2016, the evangelical church, 81%, I think, voted for 
Donald Trump, who was a man who was just obviously all the things that they warned us about when we were kids. And not an ideal opponent, but she'd been demonized in ways that just did not reflect who she was. And for me, um, that was the final straw moving away from the church. And then I started to learn more about problems with the, the historicity of Scripture, meaning uh, uh, does Scripture describe what we've been able to tell from other um, from other sources. And I realized it's not the scripture is bad. It's just that it's not the inerrant book that I was taught it was. And I had to learn to read it differently. And as I read more and learned more, all those things that I'd been warned about happening happened. You know, you let go of the, the inerrancy of scripture and, and, well, your faith is going to fall apart. Well, my evangelical faith fell apart. Um, and and I, I, at this point, I'm left with really the only thing I'm sure about is, you know, I have a philosophical commitment to God is the uh, the first cause. That's the cosmological argument for God, if you're interested. And that's really all I know. Um looking some at natural theology, reading Catholic authors, what can we tell from the world about God? But all those other things that are in Scripture, those come from special revelation. We have to believe that Scripture is true. And I don't know what's true anymore in Scripture. I, d I think it's a good book. And it's it's certainly been the, faith, the, 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 the center of the Christian faith. Christianity is the language I know. This is the community I love. I stay here. But I, I don't know what I am at this point. And it's hard to talk about. I was hospitalized for suicidal ideation in 2015. I can talk about that more easily than this, even with the taboo that mental health is in, in, in the church. And so what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm looking at Catholic writers, mainline writers, Jewish writers, people who come up from the Abrahamic tradition. Um, yes, my watch is telling me I'm talking too long. Stop. <laughs> um, and just trying to rebuild the foundations of my faith. I don't know where I'm going to end up. Um, and I'm, you know, people who are still in the evangelical church, it's all those hipsters, you know, deconstructing. Oh, I'm going to tell you, you know, I didn't deconstruct easily. This is not about being hip. This is because you people abandoned what you said was important. And I can't trust what you said anymore. You know, I didn't fail you. You failed me. And. So yeah, I'm angry and I'm hurt and I'm a bit lost. Um, you know, thankfully I have a community that that um, I can still go to, and I I I want I want the God I I learned about growing up to be true, 
but I'm going to have to figure out how to believe that again. Thank you, Ken, for sharing those brave things. I mean, anybody who's had some of those experiences knows the pain of deconstruction, if you want to call it that, and to have a part of the church accusing people experiencing that of just doing something that's hip, is it just makes it so much more hurtful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Nivu, would you come up and share with us a little bit? Um, and in Nivu's case, uh, she asked me to kind of do a little bit of an interview format with her. And um, so that's how we'll do this one. Thank you for being here and for being brave enough to uh, share part of your story. Thank you. Um, would you tell us a little bit about your, your family situation right now? So, as most of you know, I have two kids. Um, one is six, the other one is two and a half. They're both uh, speech-language delayed. Because of that, we got some other issues that came up, developmental delays, sensory issues, everything that can possibly add on to that process. So I had to step down from working and take a break. I'm still on a break uh, because um, it was just too much to send them out and get them the care that they needed and still be able to have a functional family. It was We were all just falling apart with both me and my husband working and two kids in six different directions. So... We have moved from uh, Texas to Louisiana and now to New York just to be able to get them a diagnosis, um, get them some therapy, get them some help, be able to put them in schools or daycares that will actually accept kids who have special needs and not come back to the parent and say, your kid is not proper or your kid doesn't fit in our society or our structure of how we are. And finally, we have at least a place that will take them, but we still have people come back and tell us, no, this is a problem, that is a problem, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. But all they give us are problems and things that they're not able to do. They never give us a solution or any path to a solution as to how they can help structure them or how they can provide an environment for them where they can grow, they can thrive, they can achieve what normal kids should be able to achieve. So that's where we are right now. It's been a continuous struggle since six years. And for what I see, it's going to be a struggle for I don't know how long. We currently have a healthcare system that will not accommodate them because there's a delay, like most of you know, there's a delay in the hospitals, there's a shortage of nurses, there's a shortage of staff who can evaluate kids like them. We I've been in the line for almost four months now. And every day I follow up, they say, they say that they may, not able, they may not be able to even get them to do anything for at least a year from now. So I don't know what's going to happen to my child from, a, from today till the next year. Is all this going to 
give them more problems, give them more things that they cannot achieve, send them to places where they cannot fulfill what they want to fulfill. So we thought, okay, since we know what the problem is, we know they cannot talk, we know they have sensory issues, let's go outside, you know, get, uh, we have an insurance, so we'll go outside, we'll get um, someone to do the therapy for them. So then what we learned in the process is the healthcare we have does not support any of these medical treatments. So you would have to pay for everything you would have to pay out of pocket. So then somebody said, why don't you try a new healthcare plan? Don't go with the one you already have. Go out there, shop for something else. So we started shopping for something else. And then that something else was also the same thing. They said, unless you don't have a plan that is currently covering, so you are not going to be eligible for any other plan that is going to cover anything else. So we were back to square one. And not only the coverage part, we also learned that there was no way we could even afford anything of what else, what we already had going on. We couldn't afford an outside plan where the employer was not paying for us. It wasn't even affordable healthcare for anyone. So we went back to the school system and said, you know, we are hitting so many roadblocks. Is there anything else you can do for my child? And they came back and told us, um, you guys are not an English-speaking family. You and your husband, you guys were born and raised, and you have a very different language than what you see all other kids here have. And maybe that is the problem why you're facing. That is why your children are not able to talk. I mean, my kid not being able to talk English is one thing, but my kid not even being able to talk my own language is, that's a very different thing. My child didn't even talk till she was four years old. And we had to do so much of therapy for her to be able to talk. And it is so hurtful when a system so established comes back and tells you, because you're not an English-speaking family is why your child is going through this. Mm. As a mother, I feel like I have failed my child there. Me not being able to speak English is the problem here as to why my child is not speaking. So there was a time when there was so much of self-doubt as to is this the problem? Is us not being an English-speaking family or since we moved from a different environment into this country, is that the problem? Is that why this is happening to our kids? And honestly, it took us two and a half years for us to say, no, this is not the problem. This is much bigger than what they're trying to push on us. And then from all this, we, from us trying to move from place to place, we finally moved to Rochester here because when we were in New Orleans, we got hit by a hurricane and the, we lost our house there. So we moved up here, and there was a housing crisis at that point, and there's still a housing crisis. So the only apartment we could find was on the first floor. 
So the reason why I'm bringing up the apartment being on the first floor is my kids uh, have a physical delay. So that means they cannot jump properly. Um, they cannot balance properly. And for the worst part, they can't even sit still long enough for more than like two minutes. So the house being on the first level means there's somebody living below us. Now we are at a situation where we have to tell a kid who's not able to walk, jump, and run, don't run, don't jump. And as a parent, you feel bad like, because you're telling a kid who needs to jump, who needs to run around, you need to tell them don't do anything that'll, you know, that you need to do as a kid, that you need to do to progress your own development. And we have had people come to our door and say, your kids are being too loud. They're jumping. Uh, so somebody in your apartment complained as to this is happening, and we need you to keep your kids quiet. And I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to tell a kid who doesn't understand anything that you jumping or running around is causing trouble, so you shouldn't be doing that. And now we are at a point where we try to keep our kids out of the house for the longest time we can because just coming home doesn't feel safe to me. It doesn't feel safe to keep my kids there because they're constantly being judged. So to solve this problem, we thought, okay, let's go you know, buy a house. Then they'll have their own space and we won't have anybody having trouble because of them. The way the current market is, we couldn't find anything. Um, so we are still going through the same things because the health system is bad. Because the economy is so bad that it is not allowing a middle class family to raise their kids the way someone should raise their kids. I mean, this is not how we grew up when 20 or 30 years back. This is not, my kids don't have the same childhood that I had because the way the health, the education, and the economy and everything is. And on top of that, when we thought, okay, money is the problem, let's solve that part, and we tried to get a job, everybody out there comes and asks, oh, you took a six-year break, why is that? And we don't think you're qualified enough to come back to work. So <laughs> it's very hurtful that you expect a woman to go care for the kids, stay home, and you don't expect the same woman to come back and work and, you know, provide for their family. So that is where all the continuous struggle that we are going through right now just seems like, is there no solution to this? Mm. Until the economy or whatever fixes, can we not get the care and support that we need for our kids? So hmm. it's really hard. It's hard to strike the balance between what they need, what we can afford, and what we should be doing. Thank you so much for sharing um, all these painful things that are happening in your family. Um, let me ask you t one question, and, and we'll probably leave it at that, which is this. What do you say to God right now? Give me more strength and patience than I actually have right now. Mm. Because I think that's the only way I can move forward from here. Yeah. 
Thank you for sharing with us today, Yuvu. So we've heard from just three people today, and what a wide range of personal experiences of pain in the world today. Um, On Tuesday, we are having our discussion group to follow up. We'll be doing this throughout the series. Um, That's here in the building. And uh, this Tuesday, you will have a chance, if you wish, to share some stuff that's happening in your own life or to offer a response to the stories that you've heard today. So I would encourage you to come on Tuesday at 7 here. And as Jesse said, Doug Cutting is going to facilitate that discussion. And... um, it's a chance for you to kind of engage into this idea for yourselves and in a smaller, more conversational setting. Um, I have in my notes, pray for the people who shared. And I'm going to try to do that, but it's so big. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to say. So maybe I'll limit myself to the the words of our congregational prayer, and you get to give voice to this prayer as well. For Diana, all that she shared. For Ken and all that he shared. For Nivu and all that she shared. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer prayer indeed. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.